Hello and welcome back to The Insecurity Show. This is episode 21 where we continue our conversation about crypto. Remember that this episode was recorded a while ago, so there are some things that might seem out of order in the current timeline of the universe. And please excuse any of the rough cuts around the audio. Some of episode 20 was leveraged from episode 21, so it might leave some topics a little rough. You can go to our website at in-security.org to see previous episodes, find the show notes, and leave a comment. You can also follow our Twitter account, at InsecurityShow, and send your emails to feedback at in-security.org. My name is Max and my co-host is Matt. How you doing this week, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? Ah, ah, uh, what uh what else is going on though? Nothing. Have you gone and seen a movie recently? I started watching Coming to America while I was waiting for this call. Oh, okay. They had a delightful little scene where they're like, so we should travel to America. It's such a massive country with so much selection. Should we go to L.A. or New York? Hmm. It's funny because those are the only two places anyone would want to visit. Nice. Mm -hmm. I don't really have anything specific about this week. Oh, I'm considering. Oh, no, that's unrelated. Never mind. What's unrelated? Well, I was considering doing a voiceover class. Oh, that's fantastic. But I have no idea. I've got no idea how to research whether a school is worthwhile. Also, it's like a four day class. Well, that's not bad. No. How much is it? Like 500 bucks. I figure for the amount of money that it's involved, that's more or less throwaway. Yeah, that's totally worth it. That's that's disposable. Just don't drink for a month. (laughs) Um, That was a thing that I was going to say, but unrelated to the show. What's that? Well, I was going to try it for that class. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Why would that be unrelated to the show? Because you'll put it in the show if you edit this. I sure (laughs) will. Yeah. So my sister's been getting really angry at me because I like to keep mixing up people's names, but only not really mixing them up at all, just mispronouncing them or using like bad versions of the same names. I don't know why, but I think it's funny. Like, give me an example. Um... (laughs) <laughs> like Bjork instead of Bjork? Well, I don't know. I, I think the most recent one that she got really mad about was Tegan and Sarah. And I think I said something like Tregan and seafood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I think it's funny. Because <laughs> they're hippies. But then again, not really related. Um, so what have we got? What have we got on the docket? What's in store for us today? Well, today we're going to continue where we left off previously around encryption and how it's implemented in computers and where weaknesses are that we see commonly. So last week we covered quite a bit of introductory encryption. Because we may reference the previous episode frequently, please feel free to, if you have not yet listened to episode 20, head over to in-security.org. Check out The Adventures of Alice Bob and Eve. Did you have any follow-up this week? You know, to clarify last week's episode and by follow up, I mean, do we have an entire another episode about which to talk about the last episode? So all those different components, those different styles of encryption are actually make up what we do nowadays with our modern day cryptography. Uh, So programs like PGP that we use for uh, encrypting content, like in emails lots of time. Um, 
they use a bunch of these different layers together mixed in. And so do things like SSL that we use to make sure that our online shopping is secure and whatnot. Uh, They use these multiple layers. TLS as well, uh, which is just the newer variant of that. Um, And then Kerberos as well. And these have all become de facto standards in their own right. So like PGP, you encrypt a message, you send it across, you encrypt a file, you send it across. uh, But it relies on this concept of a web of trust, right? Somehow we had to have exchanged these public keys. And so there's these groups that will actually exchange a bunch of their public keys to each other in something that's called a key signing party. So that'll all make up this list and say, okay, I know that this is Matt and I know that this is Max and I know that this is Tom and I know that this is Jerry. And so we all know each other and we all exchange our public keys and then we'll say, okay, this is the authoritative list. And somebody will sign that list as the master authority on this record and it'll be date stamped and all that good stuff so that we can go back and refer to a common list together. And then we can grow this over time and say, oh, yeah, but, I, you know, my friend Mary over here, she she wasn't at the party, but I'm totally vouching for her. And so that gets added into this web of trust using my signature to vouch for her. Right. So it's, it's this ever increasing chain, but it's in multi-direction. So it's a like web. Right. So it's like this ever increasing web of trust. Using your signature to vouch for her and whoever's vouched for you as the authorization for her to be believed or for you to be believed. Right. So, you know, through the properties of non-repudiation that is coming from me, right? That I'm the one who said that, yes, I can vouch for Mary because of the properties of non-repudiation. I'm going to encrypt my message with my private key. You're going to validate it with my public key that's already in this web of trust. And say, oh, okay, that's definitely coming from Max. Max is definitely vouching for Mary. This is Mary's public key. We can add it in here. Right. We can even track who said that they trusted this person. So that's all well and good and like a commune type thing. Uh, But you'll have these different communities together. And eventually you'll get somebody social engineered to trust somebody who shouldn't be trusted. Right. And they'll just they'll just be the bad apple. Another way of doing this is using a certificate authority to go and say, okay, I'm going to be the authority on this. I'm going to generate all of these certificates for people. And you can just trust me, right? It's only one person to trust. And I'll go and do this validation that this entity is who they say they are before I issue them a certificate. And then you can use the properties of public key cryptography to say that I am definitely connecting to, you know, in-security.org if we had an SSL certificate, right? But then referring back to what we spoke of earlier with there not being a specific monopoly on who issues security certificates. That's right. And also with there not necessarily being due diligence to vet who is actually claiming they are who they are. That's right. So you'll have you'll have certificate authorities creating these certificates for companies that have already had certificates generated for them. And with the way the browsers work, they're trusting more and more certificate authorities. And these certificate authorities aren't necessarily doing the due diligence necessary. All of these certificate authorities uh, 
fit in with a model called public key infrastructure, which is PKI. Um, so there are all these different types of PKI instances. You can have private ones, you can have public ones. One interesting thing to note is that the public certificate authorities have an alliance that they get together and they all come up with kind of the same type of rules that they're supposed to follow. And in an attempt to stop having these conflicts happening behind the scenes, which is, I guess, the first they have to clean up their own backyard before they do something else. The Security Alliance has has come up with this mandate saying that all keys that get generated by a certificate authority that serves the public for the Internet all have to use Internet names for it. So they're actually put down this mandate now that people have to clean up and say, you know, if I have uh, an outside facing website like in-security.org, but on the back end, we have a test system maybe that we put content to first called in-security.test, right? Test isn't a valid top-level domain name. It will never register correctly. And therefore, we would never be able to test our content with certificates in it because the certificate authorities won't generate these certificates for us in like a year's time. Hmm. So you either have to use an internal PKI to have these tests render to be the same time that we'd expect if you're trying to test like the overhead of encryption or whatnot, or you have to start naming your internal test structures based around your external domain name. It would be kind of interesting if they had something similar to the old Canadian passport legislation wherein you had to have a professional sign it and you had to have authorization or uh, character witnesses and whatnot so that you could effectively have like a a signing party member to um, authorize you. Right. But what we just described is, you know, you still have these different spheres. And as long as you only participate in one sphere, if we look at like a Venn diagram, you only participate in one sphere, that's fine. But as soon as you have overlap, then... You have two different authorities on the matter that this needs to get back out to. And you start having this weird extra linkages, cross-linking and cross-referencing, which is not good for a web of trust. Right. Uh, And it's not good for SSL either. But I mean, there are some places that have said, hey, maybe the government should manage SSL, you know, but then there's multiple governments. It, It doesn't really solve the problem. Regardless... SSL and TLS is used for session level encryption. So, you know, the things of your browser going to a web server for that session, it's going to stay encrypted. Uh, You know, you connecting to a mail server, that session's going to stay encrypted. All that good stuff. One of my favorite hybrid crypto systems is Kerberos. And Kerberos is used for authentication. Instead of sending your passwords around willy and nilly, You're actually going to use this Kerberos system uh, and how it works. So Kerberos is like a mother may I type protocol, right? Where you authenticate once to that mother or as it's called in Kerberos, the key distribution center or KDC. You say, hey, I'm me. I know my username and password. You're going to validate that through this key exchange. And then you're going to say, okay, You've proven that you are you and 
I'm going to grant you this ticket called a ticket granting ticket. And this is the way that you and I will always talk over the secure means. And so now I say, hey, I want to go talk to Matt. And I say, mommy, can I go talk to Matt? Here's my ticket granting ticket. And you go back and you say, okay, well, if you're going to talk to Matt, then you have to use this service ticket to communicate to Matt. And I'm going to go give Matt the heads up that you're going to communicate to Matt using this service ticket. And then through a ticket granting ticket, encryption means that the KDC is already communicated to Matt. It's going to say, okay, Matt, Max wants to talk to you. And this is how Max is going to communicate to you over this session key that's only for you. Right? And you know that it came from the KDC because it's the ticket granting ticket who's given it. And then I go to you and I go, hey, Matt, want to play? And you go, yep, mommy says that you check out and we're all good and we can talk. Does at some point it ask me to validate that I am in fact Matt? Does it say, hey, someone wants to talk to you. I'm not going to tell you who, but if you can give me your ticket granting ticket, then I can let you know who and I can confirm it. So the ticket granting ticket is only... For me to talk to the KDC, right? That's that's all that it's good for. When I talk to the KDC and I say, I want to talk to resource Matt, it says, for the purpose of talking to resource Matt, you have to use this session key that's only good from Max to Matt. Okay. Right? And in the background, the KDC talks to Matt and says, hey, Max is going to request something from you. So when Max does talk to you, Max is going to use this session key, which I'm going to tell you about using the Matt to KDC ticket granting ticket as an encrypted message. The KDC is going to encrypt whoever they're talking to based on that person's ticket granting ticket. And in the background, the KDC has this secret key that it uses for communicating to everybody with. Right. So but that only only the KDC knows that. So it, in fact, will then validate that I am who I am before or that resource Matt is what resource Matt is expected to be right before it communicates. Absolutely. So tr- okay. through the transitive yeah. properties of this, right, the KDC said that if you're going to talk to Matt, then this is the session key you have to use to communicate to Matt. And this proves that Matt is who I'm connecting to as well. Right. Because Matt is the only one who's able to vouch for that, given what they knew about from the KDC. Perfect. The KDC also gives me a little bit of information about like who Matt is. Cool. I just wanted to make sure. No, that's great. So that's, I mean, that's uh, a little bit of extra overhead, but it covers off the base and it makes it so that you don't have to keep presenting your password to everybody to prove that you are who you say you are, because mommy will say that you are who you say you are. And everybody trusts mommy. And then the individual servers or the resources that you try to go to, the web service that you try to authenticate against, or the file that you try to access, right? It's all up to that server to actually authorize me to make sure that, you know, that Max, user account Max is allowed to access this resource. So where does something like this run? Is this something that's run everywhere internally? Is this something that's run server wide, like server side? Is this something that's run internally within the companies to let them get out? This is like the key to authentication for so much stuff, right? This is like 
Active Directory runs on Kerberos for authentication. So you don't have to use something like NTLM, which is a weaker version where you actually have to transmit credentials across, even if it's a hash, right? It's used in Linux and Unix operating systems. I mean, it's been around for a while. It's been through several versions. The version that's used now is Kerberos version 5, which is like anything less than that. And it's got weaknesses and you shouldn't use it. But Kerberos version 5 is also what's in Active Directory and it's phenomenal. And I mean, you can actually join Unix systems to Windows systems based around this. You can have uh, when you join two enterprises together. So, I mean, uh, a Kerberos domain is pretty much what you would think of as an Active Directory domain where a whole organization can be a part of this uh, structure. But when you talk about two different organizations want to communicate together, you can have this trust established where you can federate, which is the fancy word for saying, I'm trusting this Kerberos KDC over here and it trusts me and therefore we can allow sessions to go across and, you know, I'm still responsible for the authorization of whatever that guy says, but I know that this person's been vouched for from somebody I trust because it's all built around this ticket granting ticket, right? And it's all vouched for. It's, it's brilliant. I love it. As an example of the jokes that Sharon hates, I really wanted to say something about, so if I want to get, if I want to ask KFC, if I can talk to you (laughs) as opposed to KDC, yeah, that's why she doesn't think it's funny. So you talk to the KFC and you ask the Colonel for the secret, right? Mm -hmm. No, that would just be way too confusing. Too close. Too hits too close to home Matt. (laughs) too close, too close, a little too close. Might be a trap. Huh. Kerberos. Kerberos is awesome. So is there some sort of implementation of this, of Kerberos, that end users or home users or anyone following along on the podcast can set up? Or is this, again, something exclusive to higher end setups? So I'm not entirely positive, but I'm pretty sure that Kerberos is used in things like OAuth that that people would, you know, authenticate to and then it would vouch you for across other systems. Okay. Right. Or else that might be something else called a SAML assertion, which is another system saying, yes, I've already vouched for this person. Uh, and I'm not quite positive how SAML assertion and Kerberos differ, but they do. But, uh, but yeah, so Kerberos is something that you, uh, you would and should see in enterprises, small businesses too, because they've gone through the hardening exercises and have eliminated the weaker protocols. I'm sure your work uses it. I know my work uses it. I force people to use it whenever I can because right. it gets, gets rid of passwords and all the mishandling problems with passwords. When we have this model of trust that's all built around a central repository, you know, uh, the mommy system, the certificate authority, or that core part of that web of trust, we're placing a lot of trust into a single entity and making sure that if this person vouches for a system, then we're saying that's it. You know, I'm, I'm blindly trusting that this is legit. So when 
that core system gets compromised, yeah, it's really bad. So if somebody's able to hack into that KDC and find that secret key, right, they can now become the ticket granting ticket person and vouch for whomever as a user account without requiring that person to make a password downstream, right? If you can compromise the root certificate authority, like happened for Komodo, right? Then all of the certificates that have been generated in the past are now suspect. This person could generate a new key knowing that secret crypto part that makes the KDC the KDC, that private key at the very root. And they could then generate all of these certificates um, that are exactly the same as the ones that are out there. Yikes. Yeah. So... I mean, that's that's the problem is we're trusting this root certificate authority to have all of this power. And so we hope that the certificate authority company puts in the proper protection mechanisms to make sure that, one, it's using something like a hardware security module, uh, which is this big, fancy, super expensive machine that generates keys on itself and is able to spit out individual keys but not able to dump its content. I mean, there are some that can do that, but that's not really a benefit to anybody. And then we talked also about these conflicts with certificate authorities generating the same domain name. So my browser trusts all of these different certificate authorities and it says, hey, this is amazon.com, but it's really not. It just comes down to that same name. Then, you know, the value of that certificate's gone. So it makes sense to go through. If you're going to take on the activity of hardening uh, a system to harden that browser down uh, to only the certificate authorities that you plan on using. Fair enough. And so the root certificate authority will have a root certificate in the browser so that it knows the public certificate of that root CA. And then it can do this chain through the certificates to see, okay, this certificate was generated from this certificate authority. So you can say, hey, I'm going to trust Komodo after this date where they've regenerated their new root certificate after they've secured their systems and gotten all of the bad guys out, but I'm not going to trust stuff before this. Which brings about something else that I should have mentioned, which is that the SSL certificates And it's very easy. Just go to any secure website like Google or Amazon and you can actually view the certificate information and you can look and they'll have like the actual key that's the public certificate for that site. And then it'll also have an expiry date as to how long that certificate's good for. And you want that certificate only to be good for a certain amount of time wherein which you can't reasonably assume that the key will be compromised in that time. So typically it's like one or two years. But uh, listeners may have noticed or may have visited at times different websites wherein throughout the course of their visiting, all of a sudden they're getting a pop-up saying the certificate for this site has expired. And then saying, oh, you shouldn't trust this site or do you want to continue anyway? Things like that. Those are generally a direct result of the server certificate itself having been expired and then either the company having not renewed it or not updated uh, the information properly. Yep. 
And a lot of times if in an, a large organization, you'll have a person who's accountable for the certificate. And if they change jobs, die, whatever, and there's not a backup in place, then the email that gets sent out as a reminder for somebody to renew their certificate may go ignored. And then the certificate expires and then they only find out about when the customers call to complain. This is a little bit more of a common thing than you might think. I think at one point Google's certificate expired. Oh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if for one service or another. There's definitely been common websites that many millions of people go to that have had their certificate expire. I'm sure we can find examples and throw them in the show notes. Show notes, which of course you can find at in-security.org slash EP021. Why? I'll sign in there right now and check those show notes. There are a few very rare instances where a certificate or a key has been stolen and it actually means the operating system vendors have to send out an update. This happened to Microsoft many, 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 many years ago where the key in which they signed everything was stolen from them. And so they had to put out an emergency patch saying that old Microsoft certificate's no longer good. Anything that it's signed is no longer valid. We're going to re-sign everything under this key. If you've ever heard of a signed ActiveX driver, it uses much the same type of system where it relies on this public key cryptography to vouch for something. A lot of like, them. Yeah, go on. Like the, the Windows drivers as well? Absolutely. Uh, the drivers that somebody produces will usually get signed. And there's instances where people use these keys through these that aren't publicly verifiable, right? So Microsoft will say, okay, um, say, and this doesn't apply because I don't think that it's happened to them, but ASUS, right? This is going to be your key signing key where you're going to sign all of the drivers that come out of you under this key. And we're going to vouch for it as secure because we granted you this key. And then if ASUS gets compromised, that key can now start signing malicious drivers, malicious software. And so you'll see these shady type of driver sites. You'll see these people with properly signed drivers instead of having to socially engineer people to say, yeah, just accept this, even though you see that certificate error problem. Right. Which, as I understand it, isn't that big of a task to do. Which brings us to a nice segue to the fact that next episode, I'll attempt to cover the basics of social engineering. Oh, sweet. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So if you I found think, that these... I think we started talking about that in E1. Yeah, I know. I've been promising it for a while. I finally think that I'm ready to covered at a broad enough spectrum that people can gain some benefit from it and if not give some references that they can go and get more information on the topic from what uh what makes you think that you're ready for this is it all of those delightful cards you've been receiving in the mail that have been prompting you into doing this no it's it's just the uh the fact that we've covered enough of the basics that you can start seeing more and more how it would apply in everyday usage now that now that we understand that, you know, SSL is impacted, that, uh, you know, drivers are impacted, that all of these different techniques, uh, that as much security as you can have in a system, the person is always the weakest link. Is it the way that 
Your wife has been nagging you to do this as she keeps receiving anonymous phone calls from people requesting it. <laughs> All of these are examples of ways that I have social engineered this episode. Well, I'm, I'm happy you're excited for it. Mm. Mm. Is it that um, bouquet of flowers that you received? Yes, work? It's, it's totally the bouquet of flowers that you sent me. Thank you, Matt. It wasn't for me. Remember the card? Uh, yes. Anonymous admirer. Thanks for the really great night. Maybe next time you can talk about social engineering. <laughs> P.S. This isn't Matt. Yes. Written on my business card. Whomever the mystery flower sender is. All right. Well, now I'm super excited. I can't wait for next week. It's a good thing that you have to record regardless of what happens. Exactly. And then I guess after that, maybe I'll see you. Yeah. Yay. Social engineering. Woohoo. Yes. Excellent. All right. So, man, can't wait. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be a good, a good next couple of shows. Yeah. Oh, I got a question um, for you. Yes. How do you keep an idiot in suspense? <laughs>